So good morning, Highland. We're um, going to cover a lot of scripture this morning, um, and we're not going to waste any time getting into it. As Jason said, we are in this um, series, Man of Action. We're in the book of Mark, and we uh, are going to start in Mark 4.35. We're going to jump right in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. And this is a very uh, short and sweet, but very detailed account of an event in Jesus' life that I have grown to love this week. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind them, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping. I want you to note the contrast. They were freaking out, and he is sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him, shouting, Jesus, or teacher rather, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and waves obey him. Lord, I just pray that there is power in your word this morning, as there always is. Um, Lord, help us to draw from the well of your word this morning. Um, I pray, God, that uh, there will be new things revealed that we haven't seen before, Lord. And um, if there are things that we've seen before, Lord, that you'll just remind us of, of those things that we've already seen this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. So this is what we commonly refer to as the Jesus Calms the Storm account in Scripture. It's one of the many miracles that are, that are woven throughout the Bible, and I'll admit, miracles sort of freak me out, because I've never seen a bona fide, documented Jesus miracle before. I can honestly relate to the terror that they must have felt when they were in that boat, and Jesus commanded those waves and the winds to cease. So my curiosity sort of abounds in this area. Um, I... This experience that these men went through is nothing like anything that I've ever seen before. It doesn't come close to the things that I've experienced. You know, there's childbirth, there's natural phenomenon, there's freak events that we go through in our life. For me, none of mine have ever measured up to the real miracles that that we see Jesus uh, has performed in the Bible. I could assemble a montage of all the freak events that I've ever seen, and they wouldn't hold a candle to the things that he's done. And as I read and as I reread this passage, I tried to place myself as much as I could in the storm, in the boat, with them. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Get yourself in that place with them the best you can. As I did throughout the week, more and more, one man came to my mind all week. And his name is Doug Miller. And for those of you that don't already know, uh, Doug and Lisa Miller have been coming to Highland for years, and I've had the privilege to get to know them and their family 
and every winter, I find my conversations with Doug to slightly uptick. And the reason why my conversations with Doug slightly uptick is because Doug is a meteorologist. And let's face it, if we could wake up every morning, all we really want in life is for someone to tell us what the weather's going to do. And I don't understand why they can't do it, but that's just what we want. So I decided to seek out Doug's meteorological perspective on this storm. What was the weather really like in the region? What could I learn about what it might have been like on this night? So I decided to put my best journalism foot forward, and I would interview Doug. So I want to share that video with you. And, and by the way, I have not seen this video yet, so this will be just as much of a surprise to you as me. I'm joined here today by my friend Doug, uh, uh, Doug Miller. Uh, Doug, could you state your name? We just did. <sighs> Calm down, sheesh. All right, Doug, so uh, could you tell me uh, why you wanted to come here to be interviewed today, and uh, what are you dying to tell us? Uh, you asked to interview me. Okay, fine, I'll uh, play your game. Uh, can you tell me what qualifies you to uh, talk about the weather today? Well, I'm a meteorologist. I received my PhD at Purdue University in 1996. Okay, uh, so can you tell me in your own words, what precipitated your interest in meteors? In my own words? Whose words are they going to be? Look, if you want to know about the weather in this part of the globe, I'll be happy to tell you. So uh, when you go to Dairy Queen, do you get a blizzard? Seriously? All right. There were these researchers back in 2010 who put out a study where they looked at the storms and where they were favored to form in the Mediterranean Sea. And they found, looking at 45 years worth of data, that the storms like to form over near Cyprus Island, which is very close to the Sea of Galilee. So has anyone ever said that you resemble Al Roker? Because I'm seeing it, right? Is this really the type of question you think people want to hear? So do you think J.C., that is, Jim Cantori could have saved the uh, disciples that night. Whoa! We got it! No, John, I don't think Jim Cantori could have saved them that night. One of the other uh, events that happens in the Mediterranean is a storm that has the name Medicaine, and it's given that name because it acts like a hurricane, but it's in the Mediterranean Sea. And so this also could have drifted over into the eastern part of the Mediterranean and impacted the Sea of Galilee. Hmm, so you mentioned Hurricane. Uh, has there ever been a Hurricane Doug? Or a, more like Hurricane Lisa, right? You know, <laughs> right? So, uh, so when you go to the fair, Doug, do you like funnel clouds or funnel cakes? John, this is serious stuff. Either of these storms, when they track across the Mediterranean, they blow uh, from the south, very strong winds. And that orientation of winds coming from the south means that they're blowing right down the Jordan River Valley, straight into the heart of the Sea of Galilee. So you mentioned something when we were planning this about the geometric morpho precept. Could you tell me a little more about that? It's the geostrophic adjustment process. When the conditions in the atmosphere change, it takes the winds a while to readjust to the new conditions. So for the winds to instantly cease, violates all the laws of physics in meteorology. 
So that's amazing. Uh, what effect, if any, do you think that El Nino or climate change, global warming, or the ozone level would have had on the events that night? All right, this is just getting silly, but I can't answer that question. <laughs> and you call yourself a meteorologist. Wow. Wow. That's, that's good. Thanks, Jason. <clears throat> Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug and Jason. Um, I met with Doug so we could have some fun. Uh, and at the same time, draw some of the evidence and the data that confirms that these types of uh, storms occur in the area. And that it's not normal simply for a storm to stop immediately. As, uh, as we see in scripture, these storms were typical in the Sea of Galilee. And the sea sits about 700 feet below sea level. And the sea is surrounded on hills on every side. And during the day, the rising air, um, it rises and allows the cooler air from the hills to rush down. And that brings wind that churns the water. And you end up with these storms, just as Doug talked about. There are so many noteworthy points in this story. One that I particularly like is that the wind and the waves listened to Jesus the first time he issued his command. So I tried this last night at dinner with my kids. And I said, silence, be still. And they actually were quiet the first time. But it lasted for, I want to say, maybe 20 seconds, and then it erupted again. So I, I don't have the same power. I, um, I, I just want to come out with it, though. And, and I just want to be real this morning. I want to come out with this. I believe this happened exactly the way that it says it in scriptures. I don't think it's tale, and I don't think it's myth. This is not one of Jesus' parables, and this is not a metaphorical occurrence. There isn't code or hidden meaning. It's a simple account of a real event. These, are, these events are as true to me as you are sitting in front of me. They're as true as any other historical event that's ever happened that I've ever seen recorded. And I know some of you may be thinking, duh, I get it. I, I believe the story too. I say it because I also recognize that there may be some that question it. And supernatural Jesus might be a Jesus that is hard to come around. And so I just want to say that I do believe that this happened. I want to establish this so as we move on that we, we know where we're working from. So why do I even take time to acknowledge the credibility of the story? Because I think if we're not careful, I think we can view this as just a cool story. A cool talking point, something that's fun to discuss, instead of something that occurred as the scriptures indicate. And I want to read in Second Peter 1, 16 through 21, what Peter says about how we should consider these accounts in scripture. He says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay, pay close attention to what they wrote. 
For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Often, non-believers want to infer that miracles are listed for symbolic purposes. But if this were true, then the symbolism would be lost because otherwise reliable witnesses would actually be deceivers or deceived themselves. It's not satisfactory to claim that good moral lessons are taught from events that never happened or related by people who lied or were deceived. Even men who were strongly opposed to the gospel said about Peter and John in Acts 4.16, What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows it. So why is this event even important? Why is it important for us to be willing to believe Jesus' power over the waters and the storm that night? And I think we find that buried in another dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus. And that's in John 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain How people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. And this last part is just really what hits. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's telling Nicodemus that if you won't believe me about the earthly matters, about the things that I did, about the things that I'm telling you, then you can't possibly believe me about the heavenly things. He closely relates the two. This is why it's important to take Jesus and biblical accounts of all things, all things into consideration. Simply put, we're not allowed to separate the two. So, I can't prove this morning that he stopped the storm that night. I don't have Doug's perspective on weather. This is not a lesson on weather. I don't know how high the, how high the waves were. I don't know how fast the wind was blowing or how close their boat really was to sinking or whether there is some symbolic, mysterious, other meaning found in this short account. I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. It's fun to do that. But I know 
if I can't believe the earthly things he did, then how can I possibly believe in the heavenly things that he's promised? These are Jesus' words, not my own. So I come to the simple conclusion that I do believe in the heavenly things. And as a result, I also believe in the earthly things that are recorded in the Bible. So we're left with the same simple question that the disciples asked after they witnessed these things. Who is this man? Who is this man? R.C. Sproul Sr. says, No person in all of history has provoked as much study, criticism, prejudice, or devotion as Jesus of Nazareth. When you ask this question, when the disciples ask this question, who is this man? Please be aware that Jesus is not just a historical talking point. We have to consider the claims that he's made. He's claimed to be son of God. He's claimed to be savior of the world. When we consider what hangs in the balance, we have to make a decision either for or against. When we consider, or if his claims are true, we can't approach this question with indifference when we consider that our own eternal destiny is at stake. If his claims are false, then we're left hopeless at best. It's simply not intelligent to say that he has the power to save our soul, but lacks the power to calm a storm, create a universe, heal the sick, or be born of a virgin. So who is this man, they asked. So we have to consider the accounts of others who had firsthand knowledge. In Matthew 16, 16, Peter said that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Matthew 25, 54, a Roman officer in soldiers said, this man truly was the son of God. The people that witnessed him carrying his own cross to Calvary, they couldn't deny his existence. Luke 7.49, the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sin? John 4.29, the woman at the well exclaimed, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Mark 1.27, he had such an authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. In Mark 7.37, he makes the deaf to hear, and he gives speech to those who cannot speak. We could go on and on and on with the things that Jesus has done. The big things, the things that indicate his authority. The more I pondered on whether he could have pulled off this miracle, or any of the other miracles in the Bible, the central miracle of the gospel, and the whole Bible for that matter, continued to come to my mind. And that's the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. Because it's upon this one miracle that our whole faith depends. Who is this man? I believe that he calmed the storm that night. And I also believe that he defeated death by the resurrection. He established his authority by performing miracles, yes. But none of those miracles have had the spiritual effect, the calming of the storm that we were born into. None of these miracles offer us eternal life, the miracle of resurrection. No other miracle gives us the opportunity or the power of rebirth like the miracle of the resurrection. He has gone to great lengths to display his power and authority. Then, after being crucified, 
after being buried, the same man that calmed this nuisance of a storm, resurrected from the dead, and calmed the storm of sin for all those who believe in him. And so, Ben, you, you can come up now. This world has a phrase. And the phrase is, all good things come to an end. And that phrase has always bothered me. I don't like it. It's a cynical, defeated, and hopeless approach that denies us eternal hope. But because of the resurrection, we can all say, all good things will never come to an end. And when we believe in the work of the gospel, the storms of this world, they may toss us around, but the storms no longer have us. He's sleeping in our boat. He has us. When he defeated sin and death by the resurrection, he effectively calmed the storm of sin in our life. Now we are called to a life of simple faith in the work of Jesus because of his common power, or his His calming power. So today he offers us resurrection and restoration from our own storms. He brings us shelter and calm over sin. By his own divine will, it is not dependent on the level of faith that you have. It's not because of anything you do, and it's not because we deserve it. It's all because of his kindness. So as we close, I remember a very short verse in a conversation that Jesus had with Philip and Thomas and his disciples. It's in John 14, 11. He says, Just believe that I am the Father, and the fa- or I am in the Father, rather, and the Father is in me. And I love this. Or at least, at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. See, I see in this verse a Jesus who is appealing to us. He's drawing us. He's inviting us to simply believe. Whether it's your first time, whether you've been believing for years, we're still called to believe. I know that we live in a cynical and skeptical world, and I know that the miracles of Jesus defy logic, but he is better. His promises are true. Like every Sunday, we have a time to respond. Over here, we'll have elders and we'll have jail leaders, and they're here not just to stand up there and look pretty. They want to be with you. I know that we go through storms. I know they're financial. I know they involve sickness. I know there are relationships that are breaking. And we're invited to pray with others about these things, talk about these things, lay them out there. So as Jesus appealed to them, I appeal to you, Respond. If you've never felt belief before, if you're like, you know, I've always struggled with supernatural Jesus, this dude who stops storms and heals people. I don't get it. It goes against my grain. I would love to talk to you about this Jesus. I want you to invite you to consider grace. Believe. I'll be over there. And I would love, I would love to have a cup of coffee with you and not just leave it here. And um, that, that's what I have for you this morning. I know it was short. I wanted to expose scripture, and I pray that that you've seen something in God's word that will stick with you this week. God, I pray that the power of your word will just sink in. I pray that we'll question you. 
Lord, prove yourself to us, Lord. You have. I pray that we'll receive it and that we'll believe it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.